It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to podcast like it's 1992, the podcast where we're talking about the films of 1992. Here from our perch in 2023, I'm one of your hosts, Phil Disco, and I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, replacing your regular host, Ellen Ripley, who was otherwise detained. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, with us today, Patrick Cotner. Um, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us today about. Uh, the, the, I would say probably the most complex in terms of its history in terms of its all of the like periphery conversation about alien 3 almost seems to swallow the film in and of itself so i'm really excited to talk about it interesting it's an interesting interesting. backstory an interesting side story all that stuff is i I, I, yeah yeah, please please go ahead yeah i was gonna say i read a a five or six page interview last night with charles uh the uh i believe is how Uh you pronounce his last Uh name uh, who was like the guy who put together the assembly cut for? It. But I was like, I was going deep, like just trying to read all the stuff I could because I've watched the bonus features yep, multiple so times yeah. over the years. But yep. uh, I wanted to, I wanted to refresh my brain a little. I bit. so as I mentioned on Twitter and as I mentioned to, to both of you, I had never seen this film before. Both of you, I know, had seen Emily. You had seen both cuts prior to this. No, or? just the just the original, and I okay. probably saw it. I love I I'm like an alien. I feel similarly as do about Evil Dead. I love the whole alien thing. Same. I don't love all the films, but I like like I love two of them, which is, you know, more than I can say for a lot of franchises, but it's the two everybody loves, so I feel boring. Well, I, I actually I actually like we'll, we'll talk about them we're going to do our, our our ranking at the end of the episode. Um I, I this was the only outlier for me. 
Um, I've, I, I mean, I, let me rephrase. I have not seen the Alien versus Predator film, so I can't speak to those. I know, I know. Big, big blind spot. They but fight. I, they fight the Predator in them yeah. twice. That's twice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. This was a movie that um, I never watched because I kind of was like, oh, it's the shitty one. It's the one that everyone thinks is garbage, including Fincher, for that matter. Um, so I never watched it. And then um, the quadrilogy comes out, a, a word that doesn't exist but now exists. Um, and they created this assembly cut without Fincher because he's essentially disowned the film and doesn't want anything to do with it, which I think does it a, a disservice. But So I never watched this film. Uh, I watched the 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 assembly cut, the theatrical cut, and the the hour long bonus, the the documentary about the making of it over the last twenty four to forty eight hours, and um, kind of really enjoyed every sort of portion of this movie. And I do think that it's a bummer. I mean, we're going to talk about all of the sort of bullshit, quite frankly, that exists within the making of this film, but. I guess my question for you, Patrick, is I sent you the list of available films. This was mm-hmm. one of the films that you picked. Um, thrilled that you did. And I'm sort of curious as to what your history is with this movie and and, and your feelings about it. Yeah, I uh, I think the first time I saw the first Alien movie, because, it, you know, we got to do that, was yeah. on, it was on like uh, um, uh, IFC or something like that. Sure. It was like airing on TV. It was an edited version. But I was like, oh, this rules. I, I had known about the movie. I knew everything about the movie. My thing when I was younger was like, I would read everything about a movie, even if I didn't see the movie. I like knew all the behind the scenes stuff. I knew all the history of it, whatever. Sure. Uh, and then the quadrilogy had just come out, I believe. And I bought the quadrilogy and then watched all of them through that. So that would have been like early high school, maybe something like that. Yeah, it comes out in 03, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been a, a couple years after that, not to date myself, but a couple years after that. Um, and I I like all the movies. You know what I mean? Like, I like all of them. I haven't seen Resurrection in a while. I rewatched Aliens, and I rewatched The Assembly Cut for this, and I started Resurrection last night, and I got like 25 minutes in, and I was like, I gotta go to bed. So I did not, <laughs> I did not get to that one again. Uh-huh. But um, I think they're all interesting in their own way. I like that they each have their own distinct, and I should say I'm talking about the four of them. Okay. Uh, okay. I like the no, two no prequels. With... No prequels for you. No, I I love Prometheus, and I really like Covenant too. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, the reason I bought a Blu-ray player was because I wanted to watch Prometheus again. Because it and looks I said, well, I'm not going to buy a DVD. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would I do that? Um, I. Yeah, yeah. they are. They are. I think that, and forgive me if I'm wrong in this, but the they feel like the first franchise that tried to do the different director each time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be its own vibe kind of thing, and part of yeah. that is because the, the the premise is so malleable, obviously. But I really wish more franchises did this, and it's one of the things that bums me out about like Macquarie taking over the the Mission Impossible for as great as his films are. Mm-hmm. I did kind of love that they all felt a little different, um, and I wish more franchises did this because sure. you can. Like I, I don't know why. Like, it, yeah. It's not. But um, Emily, when did you see Alien Three for the first time? I mean, I watched like all of them at some point i think when the box set came out honestly okay i had never seen it it's the only i think it's the only one i'd seen once before i watched it for this podcast 
I've like I've always been surprised at I guess I've always heard of this as like a like a kind of a buried classic. Not in the sense of like it being like great, but in a sense yeah. of people being like it's better than its reputation. Mm-hmm. And I'd always heard of resurrection being the real stinker. Um so I yeah, I but yeah, I I loved Fincher, you know. I mean, I still love Fincher. I I was very invested in the idea of like more alien. <laughs> But definitely at the time I watched the theatrical and I was like, oh, I see why people didn't like this. And I will say I get why why Fox insisted on cutting a half hour from this because the half hour you get is great, but it's slow moving. And also, you know, that movie was never going to be an A. It was always going to be a B plus. And if it's like a B plus, I can get the, the the cold, hard business logic of cutting a half hour to just cram in more showings at the theater. I think it irreparably harms this movie, but yep. I get it. I, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that kind of annoyed me watching the behind the scenes documentary was one of the producers, David Geiler, I believe is, is that, I think that's how you say his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sort of this, uh, snootiness if you will about the way the film turned out to me is a little bit frustrating because a he's one of the writers um and this movie obviously as as is sort of the case was was notoriously struggling never had a finished script as it was writing he was part of that process and there's a part of me that's like you can't tell me this movie isn't scary enough when you wrote the fucking thing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like you can't you can't tell me that you're just like you can't poo-poo the movie in terms of the tone when you wrote the fucking su- like there there's no like happy version of the script that was made of this movie. So I kind of feel like there's a little bit of revisionist history going on with this movie where it's like it's easy to kick it while it's down Every, which is a bummer. Yeah. Everybody who made this movie is kind of like over it. <laughs> and yeah. I get it. <laughs> I have I have a number of things I've written over the years that I feel have been horribly compromised by various yeah. other voices. And I'm sure. like not proud of them. If you like say, hey, Emily, how do you feel about I don't I'm not going to name them because yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. like shit on my editors. But <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, I go through the process sometimes and it's just like, yeah, you just get to a place where you're like, I don't ever want to think about that yeah. again. And it feels like everyone who made this movie it does. got there. But I would be curious. I wonder if those people have gotten to talk to the people who like the assembly cut because all of those interviews were done before the assembly cut was released Mm -hmm. to the public and probably before they saw the assembly cut you know what i mean and i think there's been this like re-acceptance of this movie because of that cut and i wonder if they're you know i'm sure uh, to a certain point they're like well i know it's bad so i'm gonna play into it Mm -hmm. being like it's bad it's bad i had a bad time making it but i think if they talk to people who actually enjoy it now i wonder if they would soften on it and be like well i actually like this part you know like it would no, be absolutely. an interesting interview i think now um because I, the, the legacy is more interesting i agree with that a hundred percent and i would also say too that um these people are too close to it is kind of mm-hmm. the problem too right like i understand that fincher is just basically ptsd in terms of the making of this film and that it almost killed his career before it even started like i understand all of his frustrations and and there's some great quotes that i'll get to as as we're talking about this from him um in the sort of early 2000s when he was a little bit more open to talking about this movie which he seems to not be anymore yeah. but i do feel like um as is the case you know but all of us being relatively well versed in in you know film history 
problematic productions in terms of not having a script or in terms of just massive creative you know difficulties and movies that actually make it to theaters having been through that rubicon no one likes them that are associated with them right Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of frustrations with just sort of like i can't believe it went down like this and i understand this movie watching it over the last couple days i was just like yeah, this seems like a pretty miserable experience. Like this would be a miserable experience, even if you had a full script, like it's such a nihilistic, dark, Mm -hmm. gloomy, brooding movie that I imagine even under the best circumstances, you'd be just like, when can I get out of this fucking basement (laughs) that I've been living in for however long? Like it's, yeah, it doesn't sound great, but I do want to give a a little bit of context for our listeners. Uh, The synopsis is that Ellen Ripley played by Sigourney Weaver is the only survivor when she crash lands on, is it Fiorina 161? Is that how you say it? I think so. Yeah, I think so. A bleak wasteland. Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri 161. 161. A bleak wasteland inherited by former inmates of the planet's maximum security prison. Once again, Ripley must face skepticism and the alien as it hunts down the prisoners and guards without weapons or modern technology of any kind. Ripley leads the men into battle against the terrifying creature. Alien 3 opened on May 22nd, 1992 against Lethal Weapon 3, Far and Away, Encino Man, and Basic Instinct. Just a, a real rip in time you've dropped you've dropped the mighty ducks runner i have noticed oh, and so i think sorry. i think you think it's not funny but the thing is it's, right now it's not right now it's not funny but it's going to loop back around it's, I, the, it's it's really not that i don't think it's funny it's that i forgot about it and it's one of those <laughs> things where like we did it consistently and then i forgot it once and then it's left my brain. I promise you, Emily, it will be back for all future episodes. Uh, it would go on to make $159 million on a $50 million budget, which by the fuck, like $159 million in 92 yeah. for this movie. That's yeah. multiple people, people seeing but it like, multiple times. The one, sure. like the thing, the thing is like, it made so much of that overseas. It was a yes, huge yes, disappointment yes. domestically, but like that was, that's kind of the early days of, oh, we can make a sequel to a yep. thing people know, and it'll mm-hmm. just make a ton of money overseas. And like yep. that didn't have grave implications for the film None industry. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, Roger Ebert, whose review of this film weirdly has left the internet. I was able to find a, a snippet of it. He said, Alien 3 is one of the best-looking bad movies I've ever seen. It is a triumph of art direction and a disaster of screenwriting. And the eyes appreciate it more than the mind. Watching it in the moment, we are absorbed. After it's over, we are disappointed because what actually happens in the movie is so much less interesting than where it happens and how it looks while it's happening. This is a review, obviously, I imagine, of the theatrical cut. I don't imagine he saw the assembly. There's there's actually an article that I I read um, from a company called Vox. I don't know if you're aware of it, Emily. It's a good company. They've never done Mm -hmm. anything bad. Yeah. Um, What? Vox? Vox? I've never, I've actually never heard of that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Alien 3 may not quite have the mass appeal or enduring legacy of its predecessors, but its low reputation simply isn't deserved. It's a worthy addition to the franchise, as strong a science fiction picture in its own way as the first two films in the series, and another showcase for the visionary talents of a young director who would go on to be one of the most powerful filmmakers in Hollywood. It's undeniably a Fincher film, nihilistic and misanthropic, bleak and despairing, slickly shot, and bathed in ragged industrial gloom. It's a big Who wrote movie. that? 
Uh, I can find out for you, but uh, it's we'll a see. big budget. I don't think it's you. <laughs> what if I wrote it? What if It'd I be wrote amazing that? if you did? It's from 2017. <laughs> Maybe you did. Uh, it's a big budget movie about human frailty and the inevitability of death in which characters are never particularly likable or heroic and the protagonist dies at the end. <laughs> Uh, as we mentioned, Fincher's disowned the film. He told The Guardian in 2009 that no one hated it more than me. To this day, no one hates it more than me. Um, so I, I guess I just, we sort of talked about this for a second, but I do think that, like, legacy has kind of stuck to this movie in an mm-hmm. unfair way. But there's also the fact that, like, you kind of have to search out this assembly cut. And a lot of people aren't going to do that. Yeah, yeah I um, now fucking own Alien Three, so <laughs> I like. Also, yeah, I, I think yeah. I own. I think I own the other. I think I I own the box set somewhere. Yeah. It's in you know. I storage. own all the Alien films. Yeah, I, but I like now box. I own one digital Alien film, and it's Alien Three. So good for me. It's interesting that like, so when I originally t- was emailing with you, Patrick, mm-hmm. I looked up online cause I, I bought the, the six of them digitally, the 4k yeah. six thing on iTunes. And I, you know, hovered over it and it said an hour 54. So I emailed you. I was like, I guess we'll watch this one. And then when you click on it, you get the actual menu and mm-hmm. there's the 2003 version, which is the one we all watch. Thankfully I watched them both, but still you might not even know it exists on your, sure. like, it's, this is just, it's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, uh, I don't want to say a failure of DVD menus as a whole, but like they try to make the menu cool. And in Mm -hmm. a way it's sort of hard to find stuff, especially on this set. There's a lot of stuff that's like hidden that you have to like go and click next and then click over. And, you know, it's just, they were trying to make it look cool. And in in that it buries so much stuff that is worth it. Because I think think this is one of the, I'm a big DVD bonus feature guy. Um, and you know cool box sets and i think this is like one of the best ones just for like the sheer amount of stuff that's on it um yeah they really have so much like archival footage especially for this movie even though they don't talk to fincher (laughs) for any of the stuff like they have so much footage that they shot on set and it's Mm -hmm. just like fascinating it's always fascinating to watch a movie that is uh maligned all the behind the scenes stuff you know like you got the I love Phantom Menace, but there's a great Phantom Menace making of documentary. I love the Hobbit, or I don't love the Hobbit movies, but I love the Hobbit movie bonus stuff because it's like just interesting to watch everyone having a miserable time. Well, it's it's funny because, you know, the guy that I kind of associate most with having exemplary bonus features is Fincher. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I bought one of the first the the Fight Club wrapped in paper Mm -hmm. double disc DVD was one of the first like just packed with multiple commentary tracks and all the deleted stuff and seeing how they make it. Like he is a guy who very much wants to walk you through his process and, and wants his, his DVDs to kind of be film schools unto themselves. Um, Less so as the years have progressed, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. just because it doesn't seem like there's much of a market for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Go with the dragon tattoo being kind of the last time that I bought one of those kind of, you know, packed sets, but it is kind of fascinating that, this is the movie that he's like fuck you i'm not telling you i made this thing gotta get, we gotta get gone girl the amy cut um the yeah. uh uh can i can i go on a proustian reverie as i am want to do if ever there was a movie to yes please well no like uh i um uh i the first dvd i ever bought was seven it was like a bare bones edition mm-hmm. and libby and i had just started hanging out 
And we went back to her room and her roommate had a computer that had a DVD player in it. And it was, her roommate had gone away for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And so we put in seven, we watched seven. Then we watched it in French because that was like the special feature. We were like, here's (laughs) a thing we can do. We can watch seven in French. Anyway, uh, that was the night we fell in love. (laughs) Like that was literally the night we had our first kiss. So thank you, David Fincher. Thank you for that. While uh, seven in French played in the background. It's beautiful. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. So romantic. I, you know, it is... uh, so I think the first Fincher film I ever saw was Seven, actually, in the theater. So 95, I'm 15. Um, weirdly, that film was not rated R in Canada. It was weird. I was able, Fucking I, I Canada. Just, yeah, I, weirdly, I think they found some way to skirt it so it was a 14A or something like that. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you why. But I remember sitting in the theater, and one of the biggest, like, jump scare like actually yelled was the sloth moment in seven when that guy coughs and he's alive and i just that that movie really kind of fucked me up when i saw it the first time um i think it's brilliant but i really do wonder whether or not i don't want to say that like that fincher wouldn't have become the filmmaker he became without this movie but i do think that this process made really kind of calcified the fincher thing i mean wouldn't you say that like he doesn't make seven next if this is a hit is ultimately what i'm kind of getting at um yeah i could see that it's very weird a that seven got made and b that he got to make it i didn't see that in theaters but it was like for a time like my favorite film like that was i saw that movie at at an impressionable age and was like yes this is how the world is (laughs) and um which i think is very true like i think a certain a certain kind of 16 year old sees that movie and is just "Mm -hmm, yep Mm -hmm. exactly they get it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i um yeah i i don't know i i think that it's so strange that he gets to like get a career um and like obviously seven is a cheaper movie to make than this but it's so it feels like he has a blank check to make whatever he wants but he clearly didn't i think it's just he's very good at at making things on on a budget i think i mean from what i read it seems like he kind of i mean he certainly gets a shot from copelson arnold copelson is the guy who produces seven and he knows how shitty everybody is at 20th and he knows like how terrible this process was and kind of gives fincher a bit of a like a lane and being like we can make this movie and by this movie being the script that fincher wants to make which has the nihilistic ending where head in the box um he's like if we do this now and quick and dirty if you can get this thing on its feet fast you're off to the races and I think that's part of it, which is just like that he has this window and he has this chance. And my guess is that him and Brad get along really well and that there was kind of this, you know, symbiosis between the two of them that allowed that. Thing. And and Brad being at this kind of fulcrum point in his career, like it all it, it's planets aligning to, to 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 your point, Emily, for it to feel like it feels. Did you know that in French, the French Brad Pitt says, just we nutbag. Does he really? He does. Yeah, that's when you and Libby kiss. Libby, Libby, and I have (laughs) quoted that to each other over the years. The whole, a whole ass human exists because Brad Pitt said, or no, the French Brad Pitt said, "Je suis un nutbag." 
I would love it if the French version of the movie was called Not Bag. <laughs> like that was the post. <laughs> that actually would be better. Better yeah, title. Yeah. I, so I I want to say um, David Fincher, twenty eight years old when he makes this film. Like fuck him. But yeah. I mean, that's also kind of why I imagine this movie is the way it is. Like he's such a stubborn guy to begin with. He still is, like notoriously so. But at twenty eight, the cockiness to make mm-hmm. a movie like this. God bless it. (laughs) Just there's there's a really great quote or in the documentary where Sigourney's talking about how one of the first meetings they have at the studio, they're in like a big conference room, and someone asks Fincher, "How do you see Ripley in this film?" And he says, "I don't know, bald." (laughs) And she was just like, "Yes." Like it's. I do think that. He just, there's zero fucks, which is kind yeah. of why it's the way it is. It's Has amazing. he talked about, did he, did he care about the franchise before? I can't remember if he had any, like, interest in it or if this was just a... There's yeah, other a, a people gig. in that documentary. That, Rennie Harlan talks pretty yeah. extensively about it, as does Vincent Ward, both the previous filmmakers yeah. associated with it. They talk about not wanting to repeat what uh, Ridley and, and, and James Cameron did. And even the producers talk about that as well. Like one of the, the the only reason to do another one was to do something totally different. And and they do succeed at that. Yeah. This is not like the other alien movies. No. Um, you know, I I do think there are choices made that I wouldn't necessarily have made. Uh-huh. Killing Newt <laughs> right out of the gate. Sure. But what do you do? Because that actress is I- now 10 years older or whatever we're at at this oh, point. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, obviously you could recast, but I actually yeah. like, I, mm-hmm. I fucking hate that they do that. But also yeah. I think it's the right call. I think that these movies are about Sigourney Weaver entering a series of situations yeah. in which she is alone against this elemental yeah. demonic force. And the yeah. second you give her a recurring cast is the second you kind of blunt that power. Like one, I, one reason I'm kind of concerned about, the tv show if it ever gets made which also sounds like it has very little to do with alien it it's sounds like, like it's on earth it's like a science movie it sounds like noah like holly was yeah mockumentary that takes place in an office i think yeah. <laughs> would watch there just happens um, to be a xenomorph that also works there but yeah I, I, one of the concerns i have about it as a tv show is like inherently tv shows have ensembles and even if it's a limited series like yeah, uh, one of the things I love about Aliens is that it does end up having that ensemble cast, but so does this movie. This movie ends up having a, a pretty tight ensemble cast. As do I, all of yeah. them. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. The first one is so famously, like, they, they die pretty relentlessly. Yeah. Um, so that, I think, gives, yeah, I think it gives this this reputation of ha- being a haunted house franchise where it's just Sigourney Weaver against the A. But all of them do have that ensemble quality. Yeah, I mean, I I am curious to see what this Fetty Alvarez movie is that is also in development. Um, A a guy who's clearly not going to shy away from violence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My guess is it's going to be a very gory movie. Um, And I am curious to see sort of what a new filmmaker, a new voice, what does this look like? Um, you know, there isn't even really a cast. It's like this, this this movie is in very nascent stages, so who knows? Um, Do you think it'll have an alien in it? Maybe. What if it doesn't? What if it's just like, there are other kinds of aliens? Yeah, no. Yeah. 
I mean, I, Prometheus yeah. basically doesn't I until know. the yeah. very last shot of that movie, pretty much. You know, yeah. I, Prometheus I, yeah. is about how Prometheus is about how uh, Jesus <laughs> kind of accidentally made the aliens, <laughs> mm-hmm. which you have follows from like the doctrine of of Judaism huh. and Christianity. Sure, that God, yeah. if God created everything. God fucking created those xenomorphs. xenomorphs. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was up to. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. I, you know, I, I, these movies have a kind of fascinating relationship with religion. Um, this movie in particular, and I'd say that if this movie has a has an one of the bigger issues for me, ultimately has to do with sort of a lack of understanding the headspace of the facility. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, there's first of all, it's a <laughs> It's a whole lot of bold people that you have times differentiating difficulties. (laughs) But it's it's also like, it's so hard. It's so hard to know who anyone, if we went through the plot of this movie and you were like, and then Peter Greger uh, walked down the hall, I'd be like, I don't know who that is. I have no idea. That is a real character name. I was looking at the Wikipedia cast list just because I'm like, I don't know any names. But even Gorick, until he's doused in blood and he's... I'm like that guy could be any of these guys. So yeah. I really, but but my issue ultimately was there seems to be this push and pull of religion in it of like who are the prisoners, who are the people that work at this facility, who are the people that are religious kind of zealots, mm-hmm. who aren't. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit muddy. Um, I mean, it's a lot muddy. So I don't know what this film's. And I'm curious, Emily, considering your your you know upbringing the way that god talks to me yes the way that god talks through you (laughs) um what are your thoughts what do you think this film is saying religiously do you think it has Um, an ideology i was of course reading some reviews of it uh Mm -hmm. before even before i started watching i finished i want to say i finished this movie five minutes before we started recording (laughs) so it's very fresh Perfect. perfect but um i uh yeah i i my my child watched it with me which i'm not sure is a great idea but you know she seems fine she seems great she actually started trying to pull herself up on the couch as we Mm -hmm. were watching this and i was like oh you've been inspired by the xenomorph i see (laughs) at the end at the end she said wait i thought the chest burster comes out of her chest there's like wait that happened i missed that yeah yeah the uh I I like I read a bunch of reviews and they were sort of like this movie really has a cool cynical take on religion and I guess it kind of does but I also am like I think it has kind of an interesting take on the way that religion serves as a community building function in places like this mm-hmm. it doesn't believe in god but it believes in people's capacity to come together and create something bigger than themselves whether that's like something like god or just killing an alien like Mm -hmm. those are two like worthwhile aims that that people have um have used but also this movie's like very smart about the ways that like religion is used to control and manipulate people especially in spaces like this especially by like corporate interests so i feel like it has a kind of nuanced take in in a really interesting way i I mean i appreciate that because it gives it credit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I i you know what i mean like I, I i like to think that what you're saying is germany and i'm not saying it's not but it also feels a little kitchen sinky at times where you're just sort of like i don't i i don't to- like i know they need some faith or some sort of hope or something otherwise like you know they'd all i mean they're all pretty miserable to begin with but like 
it's it, that's the only I don't want to say the only thing, but that was the sort of the overlying thing as I was watching it that I was just like, I wish I had a better grasp of this stuff. Um, so I think I think that's it's it's complicated by like religion, such a big concept, and yeah, just yeah, being yeah. cynically dismissive and saying, mm-hmm. oh, faith is you know, um, faith is is useless and like it's not real and all this. A lot of movies do that, but I think the second you cast Charles Dutton in that role, yeah. you kind of have to like lean into, yeah, but it's doing something for these guys. They need mm-hmm. it for whatever reason. And like everything in this movie, you can feel the many different drafts that went into oh, it. Yeah. But like the way that in a, originally a presentation of like socialism, like morphed into, we're going to talk about monks and like a really strict sure. religious order morphed into this. Like it's, it's just, it's losing something with every copy but I do think Dutton's performance in particular sort of leans into a genuine man of faith who, like, is also kind of shitty, but also, like, the only guy who can get the job done at the end of the day because he has that capacity to build a community. And was also kill an alien. a rapist and a murderer? He's a terrible rapist and murderer. Uh-huh. But, like, here, here's the thing. Prison is about reform what if he's been reformed (laughs) what if he has been reformed what if this is an orange is the new black situation and now he's better and no like that's that is one of the like central tensions of this movie is that like they're all terrible people supposedly Mm -hmm. but also do you want an alien to eat terrible people and like kind of <laughs> but but they it's share cool a, when he yeah, does it's yeah, you it's can't cool say it's not cool I, I will I, say the 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 major kind of one of the linchpins of this one that I think really works and taps into what you're talking about Emily is um they're all men they're all pretty much terrible people Ripley's the only woman there is this this gender argument within this film as well in terms of how threatened she is or isn't by these people um there's one sequence in particular where they almost rape her and it's terrible mm-hmm. um i said that, that so happily i was like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it creates this the uneasiness that you feel for ripley in this situation as a woman surrounded by men evil men for lack of a better way of putting it um really puts this film on a different level for me in the way that I don't think the other films were interested in exploring particularly. They're both kind of, you know, um, there is this alpha male kind of component to, to certainly to the Cameron one, maybe less so to the Ridley one. But um, what, what did you think about that, uh, Patrick? How did you... Yeah, I mean, I think uh, those other ones... Those characters in the first two, at least, are not, they're not fully developed characters, I would say. Like, some of them you find out a little bit more about them, but even, like, rewatching Aliens, you get, uh, you get the, the very brief picture of someone, and you're like, I got it, I know who Paxton is, whatever, I don't need to learn anything else about him. <laughs> These ones, at least, they're, like, trying to, to go into the psyche a little bit more, a little bit, even yeah. if they don't differentiate the characters that much mm-hmm. uh, from each other, like you're at least sort of learning the psychology of all the guys there at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does make it a little more interesting. Like you don't really care about anyone in aliens. I don't, except for like maybe Hicks a little bit and like maybe Hicks and maybe Bishop, but like 
the rest of them it's like vasquez do you really you know it doesn't matter they're, i mean obviously new to kid so you're like for obviously sure. rooting for a kid but yeah yes yes <laughs> i but fucking hate fodder kids. and and yeah kids should die <laughs> yes patrick well then you love the beginning of this movie yeah, yeah. my favorite um, part yeah yeah it's 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 a weird i mean one of the things that's weird about this franchise is its relation to gender in a certain way mm-hmm. like i do think that this the ripley character in and of itself and you do need to give credit to, to ridley on the first film in particular in terms of sort of deconstructing the notion of what a female heroine looks like obviously within a sci-fi genre on top of everything else um it, it really is a groundbreaking character and she continues to be one of the best fucking female heroines mm-hmm. ever um part of that is sigourney but part of that is also just who you're putting her against and in this film her and charles dance have a really interesting relationship mm-hmm. so much so that it bums me out that he's killed like halfway through the film i really kind of wish he stuck around longer um but they they have a really lovely chemistry it's maybe the first time or the only time quite frankly in the franchise that ripley gets a chance to have something close to romance a snack yeah <laughs> charles Dance kind of a snack in this movie right he i think i think you're wrong phil oh. i think you're i i'm glad oh. he dies when he does like i i, I oh, obviously okay. i like that character mm-hmm. and i like their relationship i think him dying when he does it sort of ties into this movie's mm-hmm. long gestation as basically a movie about how socialism is the only thing that can kill the alien <laughs> but because like she has to go and rely on a bunch of people she normally wouldn't they have to build like yeah. this like group collective to kill to you know kill the alien and for as cynical as I think the script is about that, I think Fincher and the actors are very dialed into the idea of like sometimes to achieve like huge political change, aka killing an alien, you have to work with people that you don't particularly like or agree with on everything or who are, you know, terrible prisoner rapist murderer types. Right, right, right. Like to get to get the job done. <clears throat> I can see that. I let, let me rephrase i don't i understand why charles dance is killed when he's killed and i think it, it is effective in the sense that i miss him in the remaining portion of the film i just um, miss him in general whenever he's not around <laughs> i do you know who was originally fincher's first choice for this role Emily? yeah and it's wild uh, uh bill murray i don't know <laughs> richard e grant hey that would be good cool he'd be good it's cool. cool he's yeah. great i love richard e grant I don't know what the romantic beats between uh-huh. him and Sigourney look like. I mean, I'm 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 salivating already. I'm like... <laughs> but a, a fascinating choice, Charles Dance. I I mean, listen, if 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 you're the studio and you're these two guys are your choices, I understand why they went with someone perhaps a little bit more. I don't even know. Like, is Charles Dance more sort of alpha? I don't know. I don't even. What really was know. his deal at the time? Had he been? I'm like. I don't even know Wikipedia. if he had been in anything. Yeah, really I don't know. To that point, um, uh, he was in a Bond movie. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, there's not a lot before that. The he's in the Golden Child. Nice. Is he the yeah, he'd given, in that? He'd given birth to three children, each more disappointing oh. than the last, who longed <laughs> to rule the kingdom but had never quite achieved their birthright. I honestly feel like Charles Dance in Game of Thrones is when the world discovered Charles Dance, unfortunately, or yeah. fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. But um, 
there's there's a couple things that I found fascinating uh, visually about this film. Um, one of which was the use of dissolves is not something that Fincher has used since, which mm. makes me wonder whether or not he was involved in it. But they're really like there, there's this beautiful sequence when Newt and Hicks's bodies are thrown into the furnace, and you have these beautiful dissolves, and the score mm. is like it, it feels like a Julie Tamer movie for for a couple minutes there, um, which I was like. This is really interesting. And I don't know. I mean, I'm going to assume, just for the sake of this discussion, that Fincher was involved in it. And I I just think it's an interesting choice. It's not something that aesthetically he's done since. Um, I also just really want him to do another sci-fi movie. Like, we haven't gotten one from him. Maybe maybe he associates dissolves with this movie. And that's why he doesn't use them anymore. <laughs> it's like, never again. He says, no, that's an Alien 3 thing. I don't touch those. That's it. <laughs> Wasn't he, like, developing some, like, long, rumored, storied sci-fi novel that had never been, I want to say, like, an Arthur C. Clarke something or other, um, that and then right. it just never happened. I feel like he was doing, like, Rendezvous with Rama or or maybe mm. Foundation, which is Asimov. But, yeah, it feels like that was a thing he was kind of, like, interested in, and then, you know, he went off and did all the other things he does. Well, he, I mean, I don't know that these necessarily both fit the mold of this in the sense that they're not space movies, but, like, he almost did the World War Z sequel, mm-hmm. um, and he, you know, very, uh, tried very long to do the, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which, with Disney, which I don't know what the fuck that would have been, but That would have been curious. great. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it does seem as though um, he wants to do something like that again. Like, I do feel like he part of it is just his shit's so expensive. People get so scared of the budgets, and they're scared of him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's only had really kind of arguably a couple hits. And they're also hits, not in quotation marks, but they're not, like, resounding, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Gone Girl a huge book so it was gonna make money and you know but it, it's just it's kind of fascinating um pete Postlethwaite completely wasted in this movie yes guy has like five lines it feels like we a got snack. I, I was almost also done with the movie and i said i thought pete Postlethwaite was in this <laughs> and then he showed up and he died and i was like oh i must have just blanked over him for the rest of the movie well he's yeah. again you forget because he looks like all the other bold yes. white guys yeah. he's like oh yeah i guess he was in this for longer yeah yeah, yeah. Um, also, his character's yeah. last name in the movie is Postlethwaite. It's not. Is it? It's David Postlethwaite, according to Wikipedia. Really? Yes. I, uh... Guys, it should be said, Taylor Swift and Matt Healy finally broke up, thank God. Uh, it's just What? Wow. Uh, what? Just, just, just report. TMZ thing. just report. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was like, she has backed herself into a corner where she needs to break up with him in the next two months, or they need to have a disastrous four-year marriage. And I was like, (laughs) it's either or, and I'm glad she chose option A. I guess we're done talking about Alien 3, right? We're we're, we're not, but it needed to be said, because I know that Emily and I, obviously, you know, Swifties. When I I saw, I was like, I was like, I gotta go see her in New York in case she doubles down on this, and I can no longer, I no longer have, like, the plausible deniability of, she's not an awful person, she's just kind of problematic she i i mean listen i hope that she i don't know she wanted some dirty gross sex i guess for a couple weeks or something who and knows? honestly anyway. who doesn't i would i would yeah, hook up no, with charles dance in this movie for that reason see i brought it back on top you brought it back thank you so i want to give uh just to our for our audience a little bit of production context i'm not gonna like we could talk for 20 hours about this but i just want to say 
obviously aliens is successful 20th century fox wants to do another one brandywine productions which is uh david geiler walter hill gordon carroll um the guys behind the previous films basically decide that they don't want to do a repeat of one and two they want to do something different they want to do something about the duplicity of the wayland corporation um and why they were so intent on using aliens as biological weapons whatever a a grace note in this movie barely touched upon (laughs) but it is something that they do talk about um there were a lot of various discussions about how to do this movie. Um, there was a version, apparently, there was a treatment. It was a two-part story of a third film featuring the underhanded Whalen Corporation facing off with a military aggressive culture of humans whose rigid socialist ideology caused them to separate from Earth society. Sure. Uh, the first one of these two movies was going to focus mostly on Hicks, and it was going to be about him, and then there was going to be like a a tag of Ripley at the end that was going to launch into this next movie. Shockingly, the studio was not interested in doing that. Um, Then they hire William Gibson to do a version. This was in 87. They're scared of a writer strike coming in 88, I believe. So they kind of push Gibson to write it quickly. He summed up the script as space commies hijack alien eggs, big problem in mall world. That is essentially his, which is, sounds amazing. Alien Um, three, big problem in mall world is a great title. (laughs) It's a great title. And basically his version of this is sort of uh, the three of them. uh, uh, And by three, I mean, Ripley Hicks, Newt, uh, their spaceship is kind of thrown into uh, uh, another universe, if you will. There's a shopping mall hybrid <laughs> called Anchor Point, and basically it becomes aliens attack this sort of mall hybrid colony, if you will. That, Which sounds rad to me, but that sounds yeah. Like I think that. One, you know, one thing about this movie is that it's distinct from Alien and Aliens, but it doesn't feel that distinct, especially from Alien. Like, it definitely is an evolution of that style. It is it is taking place in a different genre, which is the prison movie, which it hits a lot of the tropes from. But, like, doing a Dawn of the Dead in uh, Alien world is, like, Mm -hmm. a really smart idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I I fully agree with you, and... I guess the question from what I've read is that they just didn't ultimately like the script. It wasn't so much the the concept. They thought it was effectively done. They just were sort of like, this doesn't feel like the vibe we want. But to your point, Emily, it feels like, you know, who knows what Fetty Alvarez is going to do? Who knows what Noah Hawley is going to do? But I kind of feel like Alien Covenant felt like Ridley's attempt to try to steer it back towards a kind of, you know, pulpy horror movie sort of you know what i mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's a tighter movie it's a cleaner movie there's a couple sequences of of fastbender talking to himself and playing the lute yeah. but most most of that movie it's a haunted is, house movie i mean is, it's like yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah, it's yeah. getting back to that first one you can read that uh the mall world script mm. you they put it out as a book and as a comic and i think okay. as like an audio drama too maybe Okay. But they're like really they're trying to cash in on the William Gibson uh alien script. I haven't read it. I almost bought it for this, but then it wasn't gonna get here in time and I was like, I don't have time for this. No, no, no. I first of all appreciate you even considering doing mm-hmm. that. But I, mm-hmm. I I do think that a getting this series back to something a little bit more boots on the ground, fun 
haunted house horror mm-hmm. movie um, is what was necessary. And clearly that's what the studio wanted as well. And, and I like Alien Covenant. We'll talk about it as mm-hmm. uh, when we do our rankings. But like, this is all just a long way of saying that had Alien 3 been Dawn of the Dead meets Xenomorphs, might have been rad might have been a cool a cool take but yeah um i want to read two very brief quotes from fincher uh one was in 06 i believe one was in 09 he said my notion was that the third movie would be ripley's acceptance of the notion of sacrifice she had the me decade of the first movie she'd come (laughs) from the periphery of the story anybody should be the commander as long as they're stuck as as long as they stick to their guns and have a moral compass and then the second movie she found a maternal instinct and then i wanted the third one to be that she realizes it's not about her generation it's really about the future the notion was to put the monster among the the wretched she was going to galvanize the wretched to self-sacrifice giving up their lives to save people who had brandished themselves and should be outside their scope of interest uh, and they would find value in the dying for the right reasons again all great ideas not this entirely a great, this is a great franchise to expose my my child to then because it's all about intergenerational like giving yeah. way and yeah, yeah. she needs to know that it's, she like, needs to sacrifice herself do you feel like you know more about the ways that people like have to like give themselves up to preserve future generations and how we've gotten worse at that I wish that we heard just a tiny voice go, yep. She's just chewing on her stuffed rabbit. I really hope this is like her first concrete memory, like how I remember seeing The Lion King as a child, you know? Where I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so formative for me getting into the movies and like being around people. And she's like, I remember Pete Possibly having five lines. (laughs) Ray Ray Bradbury claims to remember being in the womb. So like, I do feel like... uh, So does Nicolas Cage, by the way. My seven-month-old will remember Alien 3. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other quick quote I wanted to read from Fincher is, I learned on Alien 3 that nobody really knows, so therefore no one has to care. So it's always going to be your fault. I always thought, well, surely you don't want to have the 20th Century logo in front of a shitty movie. And they were like, well, as long as it opens. So so I learned that I just need to be a belligerent asshole, which was really, you've got to get what you need to get out of it. And you have to fight for the things you believe in. And you have to be smart about how you position it so that you don't just become white noise. uh, yeah, respect it. He's not wrong. He's it's not right. a wrong quote, no. but yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, you get the re- you get the reputation. Then that's what happens. Yeah, I, which is yeah. not bad because his movies are good. You know, like, yep, yep. except for Mank, the movies are good. Except for Mank, yeah, I don't love Mank, but Emily, you're a Mank head, right? Well, I mean, wait till my Fincher. Right? No, actually, I think I think Mank is fine. Yeah, like I, I had like had it built up for me as like such a boring whatever, and then yeah. I watched it. And I was like, this is totally fine. It's just yeah. like, I just think America didn't have mank fever the way mm-hmm. that David Fincher thought we did. Mm-hmm. I think I think he was Deep like everybody's. <laughs> I think everybody's been thinking about mank this whole time, and I was like, you know what? I haven't, but thank you, thank you for for giving me. It's like when someone like gives you a gift that's really for them. It's like David Fincher being like here you go, Mank. And I'm like, this, okay, David Fincher. And then he's the one who watches it all the time. (laughs) We were so deep in the pandemic. I had so much free time that I watched Mank. I said, man, they said the name Mank a lot in that movie. I watched it again and did a super cut of any time they said the name Mank. Mank. And do it's you like have four that? minutes long. Do you, do you still have that super? Yeah, absolutely. I'll send it to you. Okay, you can put it in the episode. I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, let's just yeah. put it in the episode right now. Let's just put the, the <laughs> just just four minutes of the word mank. 
free of visuals and we're back (laughs) i think that mank um is a little bit of and it's interesting to say this because i don't necessarily think of fincher as the most uh open-hearted filmmaker he's not a big softy but i think he made that movie for his dad because his dad Mm -hmm. wrote the script and i don't know that it was there yet like i Mm -hmm. even with uh eric ross pass on the script i'm still not entirely convinced that it was there yet but there are people that disagree with me david sims loves uh loves mank he's a big mank guy so you know who what do i know um yeah man i want to just just to speak very kind of this mank mank i do think that um uh this kind of sums up fincher so beautifully to me this there's kind of that do you guys remember the infirmary scene um where where uh, charles dance dies and yeah. the xenomorph is killing whatever i thought you were and... talking about the infirmary scene in mank and i was like i don't actually my apologies yeah. guys in alien three um <laughs> and uh there's the shot that what is ultimately now probably the most iconic shot of this film mm-hmm. is uh ripley up against the wall the xenomorph coming at her uh her Oh, eyes closed, you know, whatever. And then in the trailer, it says, the bitch is back. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, it's an amazing image. And 20th didn't fucking want it. He had to, he basically had to shoot it guerrilla style right then and there. And it's now it's the, you know, the best I, now I read that yesterday when I was reading about this. Yeah. And I don't understand why they wouldn't want that. <laughs> I don't either. Like, it's such a weird, it feels like someone's giving a note just to give a note, you know, yeah. where they're like, no, we don't yeah. want that. And it's like, but why? It's cool. I think it looks it was cool a lot and of that it makes sense on. and it fits it. I don't know. It seems like a lot of that was going on. And, yeah. and when you watch the documentary and you see the, the, the poor production executive that was there the whole time being like, yeah. there's a great quote where he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to speak with a British accent by the time I leave this set. Uh, I, I do think that uh, notes for notes sake, yeah. but anyway, um, I also think for the record, not only is it a visually arresting moment because you're just like, Oh shit the fact that the alien doesn't kill her actually figures into the plot of the movie. It's a big part of that plot. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, uh, whatever. Um, They should have let us made this movie. They really should have. Emily, you would have been a great Ripley. (laughs) Yeah, listen. (laughs) Listen, here's here's one of the things about, you know, people talk about the alien franchise and gender all the time, but, like, the alien franchise has a canon trans character. Like, it is... Uh, the Veronica Cartwright character in the first movie is canon. She was assigned male at birth and then like had it's the future. So she just like went into a box and they were like, mm-hmm. now you're a girl. And mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, you know, that's what I did too. So. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're all learning something new today. I do do think that um, it is interesting how, you know, the production, part of the reason the production was so problematic is because Fincher is notorious for wanting to do lots of takes. Um, David Fincher? I know, shocking. (laughs) You know, he's, I do, I'm curious about what you guys think about this too, because I think that there is this thing about lots of takes. Um, it, it becomes almost mythical, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, why are we shooting all these takes? Why are we shooting all these versions? Um, Kubrick and Fincher seem to have a somewhat similar uh, ideology in the sense of if you do it enough times, it becomes sort of a, a, a you you stop thinking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the fear is that, I don't know about fear, but I think it's that Kubrick and Fincher would watch at Video Village and they would see actors acting. And what they don't want is that. So they needed to do it so many times so that they no longer saw actors mm-hmm. acting. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, guys? I think if you do a bunch of takes, you should be forced to edit a version of the movie featuring every single take. So there's 59 versions of The Shining. There's 100 versions of Social Network. I think that should be the new rule. <laughs> it's a good rule. Yeah, I am. Uh, I I uh, profiled Carrie Coon a few mm. years ago mm. at the website Vox, which I've never heard of. And yeah, it doesn't um, exist. Yeah. The, uh, she, of course, was in Gone Girl. And, like, she talked about, you know, getting sort of lost in that process. And, like, sure. I do think some actors kind of appreciate having it mm-hmm. worn out of them. And the thing, the thing that she was very clear on was, like, that Fincher was, like, very polite and kind and, like, was just, like, I just need to keep doing this. I need to get this certain thing. On the other hand, I do feel like it's... I don't want to say it's it's abusive because I don't think it is, but I don't think it creates a great workplace. Mm-hmm. I think it creates a workplace that is like where the director has a level of control that can uh-huh. be concerning. And if it's a David Fincher who seems like a, a good guy from what I've heard, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying I've heard, then maybe that's okay. But like, you know, Kubrick, uh, some of the stories about him are overstated, but certainly, yeah. you know, what happened with like Shelley Duvall on The Shining was was not great. So it does feel like at this point, though, you if you're signing on to one of these movies, mm-hmm. you have to know that this is part of the deal. Not to like mm-hmm. put the blame on them versus yep, the director, yep. but like it, it's this is what this is, and like you sort of got to be okay with it. So I think as long as it's not like hurting anyone or like mentally scarring anyone, yeah. if he's getting what he wants in it and it turns it into a better movie, then you know it's like if you how if you sign on to morbius you know that jared leto is going to be like hobbling across the floor on his way to the bathroom and you're gonna be like okay we're on, we're on break for four hours <laughs> i i agree and i would also say too that you know the flip side to it is that fincher has talked a lot about how the amount of money that's spent making these movies it should be the best version mm-hmm. right he's like why are we all doing this if we don't want it to be the best, right? I respect that. Now, of course, the best is his opinion of the best, of course. So, like, you know, whatever. But I do think that movie making in and of itself is a a, a somewhat ridiculous art form. We spend a bazillion dollars on these productions. Um, And I do think that we should at least be striving for something that is 
as close to quote unquote perfection as possible, but we're not a lot of the time, but I, I bring this up also because, so I, I think yes. that, I think the, the alternate take on this is that like uh, perfection can be achieved by being as messy and, and, and also like, true. Yes. Cause like, I, I love Robert Altman, another director who's got some stories about him, at all. but uh, <laughs> I certainly like, I, I, you know, or Jonathan Demi is like, these are two guys who would like really kind of have the set be loose and fun and I think like I think there is a thing that develops in the lots and lots of takes guys where it's like we can achieve perfection. We just have to like follow the rules. And it I don't know that that's true. I think I think everybody has their own method. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. my take for this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a good take. I so so Jordan Crowenweth uh, was the original DP on this film. Shot for a couple weeks. Unfortunately, had Parkinson's and had to leave. Um, his son, Jeff, has become one of Fincher's go-to DPs. I think he shot four or five of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cron- uh, Cronenweth shot Blade Runner. Um, and, you know, I-, I think this movie looks great, for the record. Uh, I don't know what it would have looked like if he had Jordan the entire time. Perhaps it, it you know, would have looked even better. Who knows? Um, uh other little production things, ball cap was made for, for Sigourney for the L.A. reshoots, um, which, got to say, really good ball cap. Would yeah. not have known that she had hair. Well, did you see how much it cost? A bazillion dollars. It was in, it was in her contract where if she had to come back and film again, they would have to pay her $40,000 to shave her head again. So they said, no, don't please don't do that. Uh, we'll make a ball cap, and the ball cap costs $16,000. Listen, that's a saving. They, they sure. saved. Yeah, they yeah. saved some money. Yeah. Do you but think I, I could get that yeah. ball cap? Because I think I'd look good. Probably. probably. I yeah. bet it's been auctioned off. You know, like yeah. it probably has been for like prop store or something. They've so I just off. have to break into the house of the man yeah. who owns the bald cap and then steal it back. He's probably the same guy who owns the film rights to the film Angus. So it's a callback <laughs> to a different episode that hopefully yeah, airs before to... this one. <laughs> uh, it's. I just think it's interesting because in in the documentary, it seems like everyone was broken by the time Mm -hmm. they're doing the LA reshoots, like the Mm -hmm. LA reshoots. And it should be said when you say reshoots, that insinuates that something was shot and then it needed to be reshot. Mm -hmm. They just didn't shoot a bunch of shit because they didn't finish or wrap the movie in London. So this is just shooting. (laughs) This is not reshooting. Mm -hmm. But you but anyway. can't really tell. Like, I, I couldn't tell yeah, I when couldn't the tell. ball cap was there. Like, I was looking yeah. for it specifically Same. in that, especially in the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't I didn't see it. Maybe I was just not looking at the right stuff, but... I thought know. it... Great ball cap. Yeah. Well worth the $20,000. Uh, 12, that is, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, Fincher kicked around the idea of doing the entire film without score. <laughs> just sound effects. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, oh god bless him man just the idea that he's like you're gonna sit through my two and a half hour alien movie with no score <laughs> i i think it's fantastic uh it would have been I, I kind of wish there was a cut with no score because that's actually a cool special feature to just yeah. have it like what he might you know as an experiment yeah um i think that would have been interesting uh, i i want to talk very briefly about the theatrical versus the assembly cut for a quick second here um so Fox wanted to assemble a director's cut for the quadrilogy. 
Fincher said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> There's basically the long and short of it. So they instead put together an extended cut that they called the assembly cut, which was based on his editing room notes. And it was released in 2003. Um, there's a quote from, again, a company that doesn't exist called Vox, uh, said, mostly the assembly cut serves to validate the strength of Fincher's vision, a vision that shines through even in the studio cut. Alien 3 is more than anything a dark and dour mood piece about the ugly depths of the human condition. The assembly cut basks in that mood a little longer and adds more detail around the margins, but there's no missing it in the theatrical cut as well. In some sense, critics who praise the look but pan the movie miss the point. A David Fincher movie is mood. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen the theatrical cut. That was something I realized oh. while I was watching it last night. I think I've only seen the assembly cut because when I got the DVDs right. online, right. they were like, the assembly cut's the better cut. So I was like, yep. well, I might as well just do the better cut because what's the point of, you know? A baby uh, has entered the chat. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's real cute. Oh Even if she loves xenomorphs, she's very cute. <laughs> Xenomorph is her father. <laughs> Actually, um, no. Uh, yeah. For Father's Day, we're going to celebrate Pia Can. The Tolkien. Oh, that's cast. nice. That's, that's lovely. That's her dad, her dad oh, is, is. She Pia loves Pia. a screen, man. She's just her eyes light up when she sees. <laughs> she loves a microphone too. You got things to um, say about Alien? <laughs> <laughs> I will say a big smile on her. A face. big smile. She's <laughs> like Alien. <laughs> I am. Um, so the, the kind of the big things that are different between these two cuts, mm-hmm. very briefly. Uh, it's an it's a dog and not an ox. Yeah, they 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 fucked up when yeah. they said not when they said the ox because like that was the one thing theatrical gets right. It should be a fucking dog. It should no. be a dog. Yeah. No, the ox looks yeah. better I, though. I think the ox looks cool. Yeah, the ox looks fine. I mean, I obviously I didn't have ch- a chance to watch the theatrical the, again. I just the one thing the about dog. yeah, the one thing about the ox is it it. I understand throughout these movies the xenomorphs uh uh yes. rules yes. change a little bit sure but the ox is very dead <laughs> at that point yes. and the whole thing with these xenomorphs is they're busting out of like living things uh, including the dog in that other cut yeah but uh, uh that ox is very dead so it does change it a little bit i do uh, have scale issues if uh, in terms of of how big oh, sure. the xenomorph is that busts out of a dog that's not yeah. big enough for there's just i've I've issues yeah. with scale listen you know? a tiny thing can come out of a human and then just keep growing so uh it's, is that true it's, yeah no it's, uh, <laughs> absolutely do not grab that plate <laughs> um i think that i have less issues with dog versus oxen yeah only insofar as that uh logic be damned i do like the and again this is part of the like what got shot what didn't get shot i mean the the opening of the movie of fincher's version of it is a far more sort of extensive crash sequence these oxen are used to drag said Mm -hmm. spaceship so like they do serve a purpose and i also love how sort of like old school it is to have like oxen dragging something yeah. And I do think that the cross-cutting between the funeral and the oxen works better than the cross-cutting with the dog and the funeral. Um, but again, like, w- w- anyway. Uh, they, in the in the uh, assembly cut, they explain why Ripley's head is shaved. In the theatrical mm-hmm. cut, they're just like, your head's shaved, like, just move on. Which um, I think is interesting in the assembly cut. Like, seeing all that I think is cool. Uh, for people who have not watched this movie, it, there's lice everywhere. Yeah. And that's why everyone's head is shaved in all that. It's just like a bunch of gross lice. Um, <laughs> this is 
it like and it's really gnarly like they show all these larvae everywhere and it's really gross and like visceral and stuff and yeah why did they make this movie like you're just talking about the lice i'm just like this movie's so gross yeah as a fan of lice on screen i'm so (laughs) glad i have this film i'm gonna be able to play it in my lice screen drafts like pretty early on i don't think it's the best lice movie but it's in the top seven um the big cut you mentioned earlier emily the the kind of swath that's cut from the center of this film has to do with them trapping the xenomorph and then Gallic going crazy and uh letting it out for lack of a better way of putting it so it, it was really kind of and you mentioned it very succinctly earlier emily but like it's it is an easy cut right because it's like a logistical cut almost right like it's it's you could say on paper it's almost like treading water. I don't think it is, but I could see how a studio would be like, "Yeah, but we don't get anywhere. Like, we don't do any. Like, why? Why do this?" I I, I like it. I think it does wonders for Gallic's character. I think that it creates all sorts of like interesting dynamics. Um, but they cut it, and that's what really ultimately takes out the twenty minutes or so that exists in there. And then we have the very end of the film, which is. Um, in the assembly cut, Ripley essentially swan dives off of into the furnace, a pit of molten, you know, what have you. Um, and in the, in the theatrical cut, the chest burster busts out of her chest. She holds on to it as she as she goes into the into the uh, uh, molten metal. That's kind of rad. It I forgot is. That. But do, yeah. what? What are your thoughts? Are you pro chestbuster or anti chestbuster in terms of this moment? Am I? Am I? Am I? Pro, like, I thought you were asking me if I'm just pro the concept. Like, no, of no, course. I not. mean, I in terms of whether it should or should not yeah. have been in the in the cut. Um, I don't know. I think like the thing about the difference between the assembly and the theatrical is the theatrical kind of goes a little bit more for spectacle, and I don't mind just a smattering of it. I think that's such a that can be like a really cool hero moment that mm-hmm. heightens an already cool hero moment just a little bit more it's a little weird and impractical and unbelievable but also <laughs> you know who the fuck cares it's sigourney weaver i want to see her do her I, shit. I ultimately don't think it matters really i think they're both cool in their own way i do like the not showing it because like you know it's in there you know what i mean like mm-hmm. we're not really getting much else out of it except for like oh look there it is one last time you know um but i ultimately don't think it matters i like her just diving in without it coming out i think but i also don't know if that's just because that's the one i've seen always more. seen yeah i don't know if i i watched the chestburster thing right before i came on here and i think <laughs> maybe that was the first time i'd like seen it in context of uh not in just like behind the scenes footage or whatever it's um, yeah. i i'm i agree with both of you guys which is that i think both have pros both have cons i agree with emily in the sense that the first thing that came to mind was like why now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why is mm-hmm. this chest burster decided this moment for us, to, for him to be like, eh, it's just yeah. kind of whatever. Yes, Emily? It's a queen, so she. Let's let's mm. let's My, gender sorry, sorry. her properly. My apologies. But, My apologies. Um, yeah. God, I want to be... Phil's getting cancelled over this yeah. episode. Fuck. I want to be... I want to be an alien queen. That's what I want. You That's are. You're I'm... my alien queen, Emily. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, the, yeah, no, I... I think that what should actually, I think the perfect ending is she's there. The chest buster comes out. She grabs hold of it. She leans back into the fire. That's when Lincoln Park's numb starts playing. And that just like comes up and cut to credits. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Uh, so a, fr- a, fr- I, I, a friend of mine edited the end of Succession with Linkin Park's Numb, and it works surprisingly well. <laughs> Doesn't everything get better when you put that that song to it? I mean, let's just be let's just be real. Like Mank with 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 <laughs> Numb, Fincher was like, "This is too fucking good," you know. <laughs> um. So I we've we've talked about a lot of the plot. There's a couple things I just wanted to to jump through. Um. As as we sort of. Uh, get to the end of this but i i do think that um the newt stuff at the top of this movie um there i believe that the optical version truncates it a bit i think it's a little mm-hmm. bit longer in the assembly cut um the morgue set is fucking gorgeous we only see it for one scene but it is phenomenal yeah um it's heartbreaking to watch it's beautifully cut i mean this is the thing about fincher's movies which is just the editing of them is and forgive the pun surgical like there's something so specific about where every cut happens the the way where they cut away from newt as the sheet is being pulled over so you just see like the top of her eyes and you know that it's her um i'll also say that the the dummy they made yeah pretty incredible like really 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 well done um the uh the henriksen dummy is really good too also also, yeah. really I didn't realize that that's a dummy and that's that not crazy. Him. That sequence it's, is incredible. It's not him. It's like the first audio animatronic, whatever, or the best, you know, one at the time. I it's had no idea. It's unreal. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the effects in this movie, the, the practical effects in this movie and all the practicality works really well. The yeah. CGI less so. Sure. Um, it, it, I think it's, I don't know if it's a rushed post, which I imagine is part of it. Um, and watching the documentary, all of the special effects were all strained on this yeah. movie. So, like, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, poo-poo anything, but like, the wide shots of the digital alien, not, not some mm-hmm. of Hollywood's best work. Mm-hmm. Um, but should the, also say yeah. the the production designer for this movie was Norman Reynolds, who did all the Star Wars original trilogy movies, and he did Raiders, did a whole bunch of stuff. But it's just like. It's a beautiful Top set. Notch. It's a really yeah. cool, really yeah. awesome set. The, the the shot, the POV of the Xenomorph when he's run through the hallways, like just seeing it as one big set is very rad. And I feel it's like you don't awesome. get that as much now unless you're watching like totally. West Wing or something, you know, where it's like, <laughs> oh, here's a big long hallway then and it goes yeah. on for a long time. It's it's cool. Listening to the production designer talk in the documentary as well, you get the impression that he's just like, I can't believe they gave me all this money to do yeah. this. Like he just he seemed he seemed very just sort of like I'll do it like gladly, yeah. but I yeah. think this is insane. Yeah. Um, Ripley saying "forgive me" before she examines Newt's body is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I will say Sigourney's performance in this movie is fucking great. She's mm-hmm. always great as this character, but I do think that she's going to some real depths here resurrection's very winky and it's very goofy mm-hmm. and it's whatever and i enjoy resurrection for what it is but like she's really going there with ripley here yeah i just was i just was thinking about how good she is and how yeah i just love i just love sigourney weaver i just really fucking love as a tall girl she's tall she's a tall girl she's great she, um, I think if they ever do make Alien 5 or whatever, it should just be her in like a fucking like retirement home. Like that would be so good. Would a watch. xenomorph in a retirement home is a Emily, great 
Go movie. pitch it. What are you doing? Yeah. Wow. I can't pitch it. I'm on strike. I <laughs> Except, I mean, like, Patrick Damn is it. the head of the CBS television yeah, network. So I'm yeah. sorry, Patrick. I'm no, sorry that I that happened. That's fine. You got to tell the WGA. You do what you got to do. No, I, I really do think, I mean, I think that Sigourney's been pretty clear at this point that she's done with the role. Yeah. Um, and don't they don't they often have like oh she's gonna come back and do this like or is that the yeah. Neil Blomkamp one the last correct one of those? I think okay. that was the last version yeah. and that is not happening that's not happening anymore yeah. which is I feel I, like I don't yeah I don't know if I, I hope no go ahead I don't know if he's the guy but I, I sort of did want that movie to happen like it seemed cool um I I am also I always like movies when they're just like yeah don't watch these other ones. You know, when they're like three and four, it doesn't matter. It's okay. I, it's the same thing with Halloween, where they're just like, "Yeah, remember all that stuff? It didn't happen." Yeah, it's unimportant. Yeah. Uh, I like. I do like. I kind of like the scream approach, where it's just this endlessly accumulating ball of bullshit that happens yes. to the same characters. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I one of the nice things about Alien is like, kind of all you needed to do was have Ripley there. To yeah. make it an alien movie, but I do feel like you need to have her go through this endless string of torture. She needs to basically be crucified and reborn in every fucking movie because that's you know her deal. Yeah. I also so there's a couple things. The first is I'm a little bummed that Resurrections the last time we see Ripley. Now I know it's not like quote unquote Ripley in the same way that we've known her because as we mm-hmm. mentioned she uh, melts in the middle. Um, but hey. With the rise of artificial intelligence, we might see her a lot more times. <laughs> it's true. This is, yeah. I just kind of feel like the end of Resurrection is not necessarily the best end point for Ripley's character. Yeah. Um, I, you know, listen, we can do all sorts of shit now, obviously, with de-aging and AI and all sorts of stuff. So who the hell knows if we're going to see Ripley again? But I'll also say there is some sort of a world where the prequels meet up with the first fucking alien movie and we could see Ripley again, a younger version of her, perhaps. But it I doesn't seem like they're going to let that prequel happen. The third prequel, which is yeah. a shame. Let's happen. it. Let's make it. Let's do I, it I, right I, now. I also, I also, <laughs> I agree with you that it doesn't look like they're going to make the third yeah. Ridley one, but then if the Fetty thing takes off yeah. or if the show takes off, I'm sure Ridley can be like, come on, let me go back into sure. the, you know, but who knows. Sure. Um, I, I, I do think that um, I, I want to just talk very quickly for a second about the choice they made to make this technologically devoid, specifically after the first two movies, which mm-hmm. are very sort of tech heavy to some degree. This movie is like there are no weapons. It's like fire. It's like I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. And it makes it so much scarier that like basically yeah. the only thing they can do is trap it or set it on fire. <laughs> Yeah. That's my that's my favorite creative choice this thing makes. I think yep. I think the reason you you need Sigourney and the reason like I think that um Prometheus has like a really interesting twist on this is that I think these movies are fundamentally about pregnancy and motherhood and in a way that a what freaks men out about pregnancy and motherhood and b what freaks women out about pregnancy and motherhood and how, how those are two very different things. And Alien okay. Aliens are the two different sides of that coin. And Alien 3, I think, deepens the idea of I have something inside of me and I need to get it out. Prometheus plays around with that. I think Resurrection kind of does. Resurrection is kind of about this fucked up protective instinct you have for your own child, yeah. as we all yeah. saw, you know, as my child was trying to casually destroy this podcast. And mm-hmm. I was like, you're great. I love you. Um, but stop. 
but yeah, like Prometheus has that, that co- and then Covenant kind of is about that too. I really actually love Covenant's Covenant, about but, fucking. I think yeah, Covenant's, <laughs> Covenant's about fucking. Just about sex. Covenant's about how if you're Michael Fassbender, you kind of want to fuck yourself, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're sure. fine with it. We're like, we got it. <laughs> is Covenant about marriage, Emily? Is that what it's like to be married? <laughs> kind of. I mean, like, well, uh, I that sounded like a joke, but like, my wife and I are kind of just like merging into each other. So, I yeah, I agree with everything you're saying, Emily. I, I the the pregnancy thing very much so, femininity, maternity, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and and to some degree, masculinity as well. Like these movies don't have. I mean, I guess. I'll, I'll eat my words a little bit because James Cameron is such an alpha male in a lot of ways. There's a lot of like the military stuff is very kind of like, you know, gung ho military, mm. what have you. But I do think that like Prometheus, one of the one of my favorite scenes in Prometheus is when she has to extract in the just mm. to do a cesarean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just fucking incredible. James, by the way, James Cameron for mm. a guy who gets written up as an alpha male a lot has a mm. lot of like gender feelings. No, for sure. Like he's very yeah. like. His filmography is very trans without him being apparently a trans person. Like he's very like fascinated by by women and by what it would mm-hmm. be like to be a strong, powerful woman. Avatar is kind of a weird like transformation fantasy. Um yeah, I, I'm not yeah, I think I think that like there are so many trans themes in his work, and that's why that's why he doesn't get kind of sucked into the um uh the military industrial complex of it all. That weird tension in all of his films that's like this is evil and destroying the planet, but it looks cool. <laughs> that, no, absolutely. Like, I don't, you don't get the impression that James Cameron is like a guy who, um, he doesn't seem pro military. If you know what I mean? Like, he's not Michael Bay. Like, you don't get the impression that he's like, but there is, he's skirting a lot. Pro, he's pro, like, plane. He's like, look at this fucking plane. And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um i i really uh, i just want to talk very quickly about the infirmary sequence again just in terms of in mank to be clear yeah in mank um no in alien 3 the the close-ups i mean i just can't get over how good fincher's close-ups look um the the pops into the things that he wants us to know about um the the there's a great shot of Golic like leaning over his uh, his gurney to see the feet mm-hmm. of uh, of Sigourney and, and Charles Dance and like being aware of the fact that there's something you know romantic going on between the two of them and then the xenomorph feet coming down like it's just it's it's a really great sequence of tension and what he's letting you see and what he's not letting you see um, that I just I fucking it's a wrap um, the Charles Dance character for a quick second can we talk just very briefly about his backstory of the fact that he accidentally <laughs> murdered like 11 fucking soldiers. Uh-huh. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? <laughs> Perfect <laughs> timing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that stuff's all, all really great. Um, I, I, I like the fact that the alien doesn't kill her because she's got the queen inside her. That's cool. Yeah. yeah cool. Like, it's great. It's, it's, it's great. Good um, movie. Good movie. Let's say it. Good, good movie. movie. Good movie, guys. Stop shitting on Alien 3. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to just uh, talk very quickly about the end of this movie in the sense of killing Ripley, right? Like, mm-hmm. you do get the feeling that uh, he's not Fincher, but perhaps Fox is like, it's kind of crazy they kill her is ultimately what I'm getting at, right? Like, I don't think they're thinking, oh, we can unring this bell. 
mm-hmm. or that were like that would just never fucking happen today. And I'm kind yeah. of wondering what you guys think about like what, the, why, like why kill your golden goose? Did she want to be killed? Maybe, maybe that's the answer. I don't know. She like, did. is it a Harrison Ford oh, thing? Or is like, I'll do it, but she no, was you know, like, I it. will. Yeah, I'll come back. But then she came back. back. Yeah, I mean. Uh, she had a rough 90s you know she's yeah. in some really good yeah. movies but she didn't have any like a lot of big hits so yeah yeah i you know now that you mention it uh, emily it is worth bringing up sigourney's filmography just very briefly here because i i am sort of like she has such a phenomenal run in the like mm-hmm. 80s Right, her first movie is notoriously she's Alfie Singer's date at the end of uh, Annie Hall. You can't really see her. Uh, then she's in Alien in '79, obviously, Ghostbusters in '84, Aliens in '86, Girls in the Mist, Working Girl, Ghostbusters Two, Alien Three in '92, and then you're absolutely right, Emily. It's like it's Dave, Death and the Maiden, Copycat. I love the Ice Storm, but again, like these are yeah. she's not really. And my guess is also they probably were just like, here's so much money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, because what is it? 97? 97, yeah. 97. And this is 92. This is 92. That's 97. That's quick, though. Like, that's not. I it, know. It's not like she really sat in that weird period of time. Like, five years is ultimately not that long. Alien, Alien Resurrection is the first Alien movie I saw. And um, I saw it because I had. I was 17, I think, and I mm-hmm. could see an R-rated movie, so it was my mm-hmm. first one. And I saw it in theaters. And um, a very weird introduction to the franchise. Yeah. But Yeah. I mean, yes. I I, I, I have conflicted feelings about Alien Resurrection because there's a lot of stuff that I like in it. But similarly, you know, classic Joss Whedon, fuck that movie uh, bullshit that he loves to do when the movie doesn't work yeah. or feels as so i actually think that movie is a lot of fun um it's probably a little too winky for its own good at times but i think that movie is really a cool joss whedon project winky i know but i also think like the Janae component of it you know we're going to talk delicatessen at some point on this podcast emily and you know Janae getting alien resurrection isn't insane when you think about it um coming off of delicatessen and city of lost children like get it, giving him an alien movie makes total sense but um, so let's rate this movie very quickly and then we will hey, do our hey, can, alien rankings. Can we, yes, can we talk Charles Dutton? I, Absolutely. I, Sorry. Yes, of course. Of course I uh, really adore him as an actor. I adore him in this. Um, at, this is the point when he's doing the lives. Well, it's right before he does the live season of rock, which I like noticed was in 92. And I was like, should we try and do an episode on the live season? Would of watch rock? would, would do like I'm in. It's like I I've never seen that show because I didn't have the Fox Network when that was airing, yeah. And it was just critically acclaimed thing. And season one, critics loved. It kind of got renewed because the critics loved it. And season two, they were like, "We need a fucking gimmick. We're all theater performers. Let's do every episode live." <laughs> Charles Dutton, just like a really good dude. I just like I just think he's he's great. Cool. I wish he was in. He's in a lot of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that this is a movie that obviously doesn't. You know, he talks pretty favorably about it, but you know, I he, think he's good in this. Movie. I think he's good in this movie too. I agree. Yeah. Um. So what we do on this podcast, Patrick, as you might know, maybe don't know, uh, we do a rating before the podcast and a rating after the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I had not seen this film in '92, so for me, before this podcast, I was at like a '72, and now I'm at like a '78. Like I think this movie is like 
uh, we're gonna do our rankings it's still not very high on my list yeah. but i do yeah. think this movie is not deserving of the of the shitting that it gets but uh, what are your thoughts on it what did you think uh before and after this podcast yeah i mean i think uh i always felt i always tried to avoid the just falling into the shitting on it because everyone was shitting on it yeah I, and i always enjoyed it and i thought it was weird and different it's not when i want to rewatch that often you know it's not a like a feel-good fun even even the first one is not feel-good fun but like i'd much rather rewatch one or two before i get to this um but i do enjoy it and i think um i probably enjoyed it a little bit more yeah i mean probably similar to where you were i think i, th I think yeah 75 maybe something like that yeah yeah uh, emily where are you on this uh, I think when I watched it back when I probably would have been like 53, 54, 55, somewhere in there, I liked it, but I also like what the theatrical cut has a lot of issues. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, this cut I liked a lot more. I'm still not like super pumped yeah. about it, but I'll go like 67. I think it's a solid, I think it's a solid two thirds movie, you know, like mm -hmm. it's just two thirds there. Again, I think that the, the problem with this movie is that Fox was never going to get it to an A. So they were just like, let's just get it to something that can make a lot of money. And like, you know, it's, it, but it's a good movie. It's a good alien movie. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. And as we do our rankings, um, we'll just kind of go around the horn. We're just going to talk about the six alien films. Um, my number six is alien three. <laughs> uh, I, I gotta be honest. It's my least favorite of the series, but I also think it's, not a bad movie. Uh, I I like this series as a whole. So like I was I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. What was your number six, Emily? Oh Jesus! I didn't write this down or anything. I was just gonna do it off the top do of my head. Do it Let's do it. Okay, do it. My I think my number just six do is your, uh, do do just all of them and we'll do, do it. Pop up up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my six would be Resurrection. My five would probably be. Um, <laughs> my five would probably be this. I think my four is Prometheus, my three is Covenant, my two is Aliens, and my one is Alien. So Mine would be uh, six is this, five Prometheus, four Covenant, three Resurrection, two Aliens, one Alien. I, maybe I got to see Resurrection again. I rewatched it when the box set came out. It was kind of like, this yeah. is just as shitty as I remembered it being. Good movie, but... man. That was when I was in a Joss Whedon acolyte, so maybe now I'd like it more. I just and also I wrote a writer, man. Come on, it's a good, good movie. Perlman, Dan Hedaya, you got a lot of good people in this movie. I, I do. I mean, I do love. I do love Winona Ryder, but I just, yeah, I, I think, I think that's a movie where the motherhood themes feel a little bit muddled to me in a way that that turns me off of it a little bit. What about you, Patrick? What's your what's your ranking? Well, coming in at number nine is Alien versus Predator Requiem. Fuck yeah. Coming Fuck in at number yeah. eight is Alien versus Predator. Coming in at number seven is Predator 2 because that xenomorph skull is in the Predator's uh, Oh, jeez. Uh, wow, this, I love this. Yeah. Coming okay. in at number six, Alien Resurrection. Number five, oh. Alien 3. Number four, Covenant. Number three, Prometheus. Number two, Aliens. Number one, Alien. Wow, Patrick is high. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, Patrick? Yes. Who's sexier, Alien or Predator? Great question. Not a big Predator guy. I think it's Alien. Okay. Yeah. I think well, I agree. And he's, Predator's, he's so, Predator's a thick slick. boy. We'll yeah. say that. Predator's a thick boy. And and, yeah. and the Xenomorph has a mouth. Like, yeah. has more yeah. of, a, like, a lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? You, there's, there's more. You, you, can, there's, you can make kissy face with a, with a could, Xenomorph. Is, is, is Prey the Predator version of Alien 3? Kind of, yeah. 
Yeah, it's like, I like Prey. Prey not, was good. I do too, but I'm yeah. saying not a lot of weapons. You know, you're like bound to no, basics. Totally. Like, yeah. Prey is yeah. my favorite Predator movie. I think Prey yeah. is the best Predator yeah. movie. I I, yeah. I haven't seen the first one in a while, and that that's obviously the other like good one. But sure, yeah. Um, I should also so, say I went to in pre-pandemic. I guess it was maybe 2018 in New Jersey. A high school did Alien as a stage play. Oh, that's such a fucking good idea. Yes. I love that. And I went to it, and it ruled so hard. And oh. Sigourney was there. Sigourney like went up and did an intro at the beginning, and it was oh, wow. so rad. It was so cool. But the whole time you're distracted because I'm just watching her in the audience. Because <laughs> I'm like, what are you thinking of this? What are you doing? And it was, I, I desperately want those kids to do Alien 3. I desperately want it so <laughs> The thing about like, so obviously in Broadway now, like everybody's trying to do like musicals of mm-hmm. old movies. And I think there's this untapped thing of most horror would yeah. work really well as a stage play because a lot of it's very confined and like, like alien with like a puppet would be really cool. Mm-hmm. The exorcist is another one I frequently thought about could be a really cool stage play. I think yeah. it's an untapped market. And um, I agree. Uh, actually Broadway's, you know, I can pitch to Broadway producers. So Broadway I producers. Feel like we're- we're days away from Sorkin's Alien play. I feel like. oh, <laughs> Alien, uh, Alien, and it's just like the Xenomorph is like talking about like the Smoot Holly, <laughs> Derek. Um, so to wrap Aliens, this up, like I you sure to... you don't mean you sure you don't mean Hoot Smalley, and then uh, uh, then like fucking uh, oh I don't God. know somebody's uh, one of the other Ripley's like no I mean Smoot Holly. <laughs> yeah uh, i wanted to do our top five finchers because um truthfully we covered fight club on the 99 podcast um but uh, but our guest was karen kusama and quite frankly we were we didn't have the time so we were just like we didn't do our top fives yeah um and i'm curious to hear what you guys your top fives are we will go around the horn on this one top five fincher films my number five curious case of benjamin button I think this movie is underrated. I love this movie. Um, I I think it is Fincher's most sort of overtly heartfelt movie about how we're all going to die. It's, I think it's a lovely movie. Um, That's my five. What's your five, Emily? You don't respect my process of just making shit up off the top of my head. It's probably seven. Let's just say seven. I I just I want to be above board with our listeners here. I texted you about this two days. Yeah, ago. no, I didn't I realize I had to write it down. Surprise. I I didn't realize I had to write it down. I thought I was. You were just like Emily. Could you make this up off the top of your head? And I was like, was I that what the text said? Up off the top. No, I. You said, are, are you okay ranking your top five finchers? And I was like, yes, I am. I'll make it off up off the top of my head. All right, what's your five? seven? Yeah, seven. Seven. Okay, what's yours, Patrick? um I, I put alien three wow okay I, do, I like this movie that's fucking rad i like that yeah it's also one that i think i've rewatched more than i've rewatched his other ones wow mostly this because if i'm watching when i watch a franchise if i'm gonna yeah. go rewatch it i'm rewatching most of it you know if not all that's of it interesting yeah it's I rare mean, i that's... make it to resurrection in the rewatch but i do the <laughs> i usually do the the first three amazing yeah. uh my my f4 is seven i think seven's great i watch it all the time i love it um yeah i mean i don't know seven's great well, what's your four emily curious case benji b i really do i really do love that that movie i saw that i think i've seen it twice like i saw it in theaters and just like cried my eyes out and then like it got this reputation as being a bad movie and i was like did i just have like this 
experience. And then I rewatched it. I was like, no, this is a really good movie. It's it's yeah. it's better than Forrest Gump, which is the movie it's most similar to. Correct. So. Well, same writer. And, and I, I'll say this about the Benjamin Button thing. When that movie came out in 2008, I think that it, there was a weird discourse going on around that year. Because that's the year of Slumdog Millionaire. That's the year where, like, Dark Knight and Wally and a bunch of films that, you know, more populous movies that did not get nominated. And I feel like weirdly Benjamin Button got kind of kicked around because of that. Like this is the movie that got a nominate. I think it's, a, I think it's a great film, but what's your, what's your four, Patrick? Uh, number four is Indiana Jones and the temple of doom where he did matte photography for ILM. This is uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. It's uh I was trying to figure out which alien, uh, which uh, Ewok movie he worked on, but I couldn't get that in time. I was like <laughs> frantically Googling over here. I think it's caravan of courage. Um, no, I think it's gone girl. I haven't rewatched it in a while, but I remember really liking it. Yeah, I think Gone Girl is great. That was my number six. It barely. Yeah, I, I, I think I've watched Gone Girl a ton of times. But yeah. uh, Emily, you are Miami Dunn. What's what is your uh, what's 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 your number? Uh, wait, oh, we're at three now. Sorry, yeah. uh, my three is uh, Zodiac. Interesting, interesting. Uh, social Network. Mine is also social Social Network. Interesting. I, yeah. I mean, I, I the, the, you know, I. I I think that Zodiac, I love Zodiac. Um, I love it because it's sort of like all the president's men and you can tell mm-hmm. that Fincher just loves like uh, procedural things, like just people getting into the fucking weeds about shit. Um, Social Network, I, I'll talk about that when it's on mine. But uh, what do you guys love about Social Network or don't love? I think it's, uh, I think my top three Finchers, I, Fincher is someone who leaves me, I don't want to say cold. He leaves mm-hmm. me just a little bit detached mm-hmm. in most of his movies, but his top three for me are all, like masterpieces i yeah. think mm-hmm. um i think social network's really great uh it's the best thing sorkin's ever written um mm-hmm. i do i do like the thing that holds me back a little bit is it is a little bit unfair to the women in oh, it yeah. in a way that is like in keeping with its worldview but you're still like interrogate this a little bit guys yeah absolutely absolutely agree uh my number two is the girl with the dragon tattoo a movie i've seen innumerable times uh i love it to death i want to live in it weirdly just the aesthetics i I, you know rudy mara's lisbeth salander is you know just my weirdly i guess one of my dream women i just absolutely adore it i love the score i love the look of it um it's just uh it's 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 top tier for me but what's what's your number two emily uh dragon tattoo is my last place venture i really don't like that movie i'm sorry um it's okay it's okay you can be wrong. It's fine. Um, also, you can be wrong too. No, I can't. <laughs> I'm a mother. So. Yeah, I wish I wish our listeners could have seen the look on Emily's face. It was like, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> uh, my number two Zodiac, and I go back and forth on my number two and my number one, but I think Zodiac is, is okay. a pretty pretty fucking great. Uh, I've seen that's the Fincher I've seen the most. I've seen that so many times. It's a it's a it's a right, comfort maybe. movie for me in a weird way. Okay, what's your number two? Uh, number two seven. I like seven. Everyone likes yeah. seven. I think you know seven's fun. It's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Seven has probably one of my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow moments, and when it's her the head moment is in the box. No, oh. no, it's when she's at the diner with Morgan Freeman, and he says, "What's if in you're the box?" That kid, if you're gonna have that kid, uh, spoil it every chance you get. And she just gives this look that's just like rich yeah. And I just like that there's nobody in it who's a problem in real life. There's nothing that you yeah, have to no. really grapple yeah. with with any of them. Nobody yeah. in it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, my number the most one rewatchable Spacey. The most rewatchable Spacey <laughs> performance, actually. <laughs> Probably true, because you're like, yeah, he is a fucking serial killer. <laughs> um, I, uh, my number one social network, I, I'm, a, I'm a little basic in that regard, I guess. But I, I, I just think, for all the reasons you guys said, it's great. And all the reasons, Emily, that you gave in terms of interrogation is absolutely true. It's just, it's just deeply rewatchable for me. It's just a movie that, like, a lot of Fincher's movies are weirdly comfort movies for me, like you mentioned, Emily. But I think this is one of those films that, like, when I hit play on it, I got to watch the whole thing. And it just, it, 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 it just really works for me. But what's your, what's your number one, Emily? My uh, friend, the great uh, TV and film critic Angie Han, and I mm. first bonded over how both Fincher and Nolan are, like, really, we like them when they're really good, but also they kind of mm. leave us cold when they're not. Uh and but this we agreed on the number one film of Fincher's, which is the best movie he's ever made, and an American masterpiece, one of the great American films, Gone Girl. It's and I say that movie. to people, I say that to people, and they seem like taken aback. Like for some reason, that movie's gotten this reputation as like kind of trashy or kind of like pot boiler. No, it's a fucking amazing movie about marriage and about media and about the American dream. And like, mm-hmm. I I cannot believe that movie is not roundly acclaimed as one of the great films. I fully agree with you. I, 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 you know, again, I had you had time, it at number six. I did have so. it at number six. I mean, I agree with you in the sense that I had a tough time making. I, I, he's a filmmaker I really love. As, as you know, as broy as that might be at times, uh, it can be a little bit tricky. And, uh, but I, I think Gone Girl is a is a. It's also fucking funny. But uh, Patrick, mm-hmm. what's your number one? I, for some reason, I was really hoping Emily was going to pull a curveball and just be like, American masterpiece. I love it so much. The game. Like I, so really, was I, I was like, I is it going to be the, the game? game? I know, I no, the, the game. game's fun, but I really, in my heart, I was like, man, please do it. Panic uh, room. No, it's uh, it's Zodiac. I like Zodiac yeah. so much. Hell yeah, it's great. Zodiac, Zodiac rules. The Charles you know, Fleischer scene is amazing. Yeah, uh, it's it's, uh, it's great. It's it's a great movie. I, I think he's made so many great movies. I, I you know rumors abound that Blank Check might be doing it at the end uh, Fincher mm. at the end of this year, mm. um, which which uh, whether that's you know happens or not, I think he's uh, he, his movies are just um, really rewatchable. His movies are yeah. fun and weird and pop culture and uh he's one of our great filmmakers i'm so excited patrick that we got to talk with you about him uh about uh your favorite alien movie alien yeah. 3 mm-hmm. um and well honestly like when you mentioned alien 3 i was like oh great fantastic because yeah. i was I, I i this is one of the biggest movies of 1992 uh yeah. a year that obviously emily and i are, are are unpacking but like kind of isn't a movie anyone really knows came out in 92 like yeah. it doesn't associate it it's just it lives in like the the ether I mean, it really came out in 2003, you know, that's when it really Touché. came out. Touché. I, I have a that's friend who, uh, we, I was talking with her about coming on the show and she was like, I haven't seen a lot of these movies. I've read their novelizations though. And I think we need, <laughs> I think that we need to do an episode on the alien three novelization among other. Would, absolutely. Well, I'm in. have you read this? There's like a lot of stuff about that because really? Alan Dean Foster who wrote it, who was the guy, he's like a novelization King, you know, he wrote, he wrote like Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was the first Star Wars book after A New Hope came out. Like he's like the oh, wow. guy okay. to do this. And he hated Alien 3. He hated it so much. And he really wanted, uh, <laughs> he didn't want Newt to die. So in his original draft of the book that he turned in, Newt does not die. And she's just, they have to keep her in like cryosleep in her pod. Sure. 
uh, to avoid the xenomorph or whatever, some dumb reason. And uh, the studio was like, no, you can't do that. And then they asked him to do Resurrection. He was like, absolutely not. I will never touch Resurrection. Like, I'm not doing That's this. That's amazing. Yeah. I kind of love it. I love yeah. how passionate he is about it. Yeah. Um, very quickly, uh, Patrick, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the film we're covering next week. Next week, we are doing Cameron Crowe's singles. Haven't uh, seen it. So this episode, so this episode is going to be setting up a joke for next week because my callback was from the singles episode. So, <laughs> isn't that crazy, Emily? How this how this podcast works in That's that fun. way? I don't know that. Like, I don't know that. I don't know the schedule. I'm not allowed to know it. I just find That's, out what happens. You're not allowed. I, you 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 don't care about such things. You're only you're I, only a special guest host. You don't. Yeah, care about I don't give things. a shit. I just show care. up. Um, I. So next week, actually, Lyle, Allison, Akel coming on to talk about singles. Are you a Cameron? Do you watch Cameron Crow films? Do you have thoughts on Cameron Crow? Are I've you? Seen, I think I've seen a solid chunk of them, but there's right. a like I, you know, I've seen almost famous. Um, sure, you've seen uh, Jerry Maguire, for instance. I've seen Jerry Maguire. My uncle is in Jerry Maguire. My uncle <laughs> is he Jerry Maguire? Is he Jerry? Jerry your Maguire. uncle's Tom Cruise? Yeah, yeah, my uncle's Tom. I wasn't going to say <laughs> it, but Patrick Maypother. That's is my your real uncle name. in it. Um, he spent a couple years in the '90s doing like extra work, and uh-huh. he's in the bachelor party scene, and he's right over Tom Cruise's Amazing. shoulder in it. Love it. Um, so for awesome. years, that was the only scene we were allowed to watch, <laughs> and I just thought I was like, "Oh, it's just a movie about a bachelor party." <laughs> like, it kind of is, though. Um, I mean, thematically, obviously. Yeah, I've seen the big ones, but I, ha- you know, I haven't delved into like right. the. He's uh, not your Eliz- guy. Elizabeth Town. I didn't sure. watch Roadies. Aloha. Right? Roadies. Yeah, oh, Roadies. Fucking yeah. Roadies. Roadies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now, okay, let me ask you a different question. Are yeah. you? Have you ever been single? Because that's a movie about yes. singles. Yes. For okay. for I would say much of my life. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um. So so it's relatable. Patrick, uh, where can people find you? on yeah, social people, media are there things that you would like to plug that people should be watching or listening sure. to yeah for sure um twitter for as long as that's going to be around i don't know sure. at patrick cotner uh, i'm on blue sky too you can follow me on blue sky uh-huh hey um, do you do i follow you on blue sky i'm gonna know, find dude, out maybe you do i, I don't follow know. you on blue sky but uh, I'll, I'll i don't i haven't used it a lot yet but it's fine. It's fine. I don't, I don't um, Instagram, just Kotner. Uh, I produce this show, the George Lucas Talk Show. You can watch it all on YouTube. It's been going on for years. Uh, Connor Ratliff plays George Lucas. Griffin Newman plays Watto. And we interview people um, as themselves. We've had Seth Meyers and Whoopi Goldberg and Weird Al. Insane people who should not be on that show. Uh, oh, fuck. That's Griffin? I didn't. I thought oh, that no. was. I thought Did that I was really the know? real Watto. You thought it was Watto. You thought it was the real yeah. Watto. Emily, didn't you watch the Ewok movie with us? I did. Yeah, I've been on it a couple times. We're bringing it yeah. back. Yeah, uh, so you've funny. had you've had like Rachel Zegler's on been yeah, on there. Yeah, yeah. Rachel's you've been had, on six um, times, I think. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> you've also uh, notoriously recently uh, the 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 kiss heard around the world yes between amy, amy, irving. Irving. amy irving and george get a little smooch it's a little, it's a little amazing smooch. our most recent episode i mean at the time of this recording sure. was our first uh we did two shows in london and our first show in london and i don't want to build this up mm. but it was the worst guest we've ever had <laughs> so <laughs> when you say worst what is the what's the criteria <laughs> cool man just not buying into the premise getting oh. booed by the audience multiple oh, times no making multiple jokes that i had to cut out of the youtube because i didn't stand by them and uh, like they're not my jokes but i was like i can't even put this on here can't believe you had uh, ricky gervais on, on. 
It, yeah, yeah. When we're off mic, can you tell us who this guest is? Absolutely. You know what? I'll okay. tell you right now. His name oh, is Jerome Blake. He played five characters in The Phantom Menace. Uh, and it was truly bananas. Yeah, bananas. Um, so anyway, so I've got that. You can watch so all he, that on YouTube. Did he, he had no context going into this? I don't mean he knew to. what it was. Interesting. Okay. He knew what it was. Who the, next time, yeah. the, the next time you're in L.A., have me on. I'll be an even worse guy. He lives Let's in L.A. now. I live in L.A. He's they in live in L.A. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but you don't produce the show here. As well. No, no. But yeah. I do produce great, great segue. Emily, you've never had a better segue. <laughs> I do produce plenty of shows in Los Angeles. Thank you. Uh, I have one uh, Sunday nights at Dynasty Typewriter called Untitled Improv Project. It's a improv show. It's much like Ask Hat. If you've seen Ask Hat at UCB, um, guests come in, tell stories from their life, improvisers do scenes based off of them. It's very fun, very silly. You can come in person or stream it online. And I've got a couple other shows that are about to start up. So if you follow me and you live in LA, you can come out and a couple talk shows. It's going to be cool. Sounds amazing. You yeah. said you did two shows in London. The two shows in London. Yeah. Who was the guest from the second show? If you're, you like, so uh, first show, it was Jerome and this guy, Pierre Bohana, who was a, uh, he's a prop maker, but he also like built the bat suit for the dark Knight and built oh, very cool. all the Harry Potter props and like a crazy cool guy. And he rules. The second show is this guy, Dave Chapman, who was the BB-8 puppeteer, one of the BB-8 puppeteers, and Katie Cartwheel, who is a creature and droid performer in a bunch of the Disney movies, and she rules. It's very And she clearly made up her name, because that's not a real name. It's not a Cartwheel? Yes, not a real name, but that is the (laughs) special name, and I don't remember what her real name is. I should have been Emily Cartwheel. I should have been Emily Cartwheel. You should have been. You made a mistake, whatever. Yeah, Yeah. you got time. I... I almost went with Emily Christmas. And Patrick, do you think that would have been a good idea? I would have loved that. I actually would have loved it too, Emily. I would have loved that. I just, just wasn't brave enough. I just wasn't Wait, they brave should make enough. a Christmas alien movie. Oh, shit. Oh, oh. It's too bad that you're the head of CBS because I have a lot of ideas that I would like to start. Your you, make... Christmas alien movie would be incredible. It's really okay. cool that the head of CBS also produces a lot of live comedy. Like yeah, that, that's true. like a, that's was, a passion. Cool. Yeah. I like to go back to my roots, you know? <laughs> um, Patrick, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, thank so, you so, so much. much for having me. Truly, truly. Uh, no, please. Um, we hope that you'll come back in the future to talk Anytime. about something else. Um, and uh, honestly, this was just a could not have been more fun. So we yeah. really, really appreciate it. I, so well, much. listen, I don't know how long the 92 season goes, but Firewalk With Me was not on your list. And I really wanted to talk about Firewalk With Me. <sighs> Emily has feelings about Firewalk okay. With it's Me. T- well, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, like, so before I was going to be the secret special guest host, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I was like, Phil came to me and was like, what do you want to do? And I said, immediately, Firewalk With Me. And I think he was very thrown back. <laughs> it's one of my 10 favorite movies ever made. It, it's so. amazing. I I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, We are going to talk about it at some point, um, but uh, we have lots of other movies um, and, and this podcast is an evolving creature. So who knows what it might turn into. How do you feel about the big B? How do you feel about the big B? He's a St. Bernard. He's kind of large and out of charge. I mean, look, I love his dad. I love his dad so much. Big fan (laughs) of the dad. Here's what I love is that there are two things you can always rely on at the end of every episode of or most episodes of this podcast, which is that Emily will ask you, do you want to come on for Beethoven? It will always happen. Uh, Thank you again, Patrick. I don't want to keep you. So we very much appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.